Hiddle-dee-diddly-doo-oppity-woppity-woo-bibbity-bobbity-what-the-fuck. I find their illogic and foolish emotions a constant irritant. And transfer out, freak! I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass, and I'm all out of bubblegum. Cheap, lying, no good, rotten, four-flushing, low-life, snake-licking, dirt-eating, inbred, overstuffed, ignorant, blood-sucking, dog-kissing, brainless, dickless, hopeless, heartless, fat-ass, bug-eyed, stiff-legged, spotty-legged, and now, together by live simulation via the internet, Scott Gardner and Chris Honeywell. Blah, 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 blah. Hello and welcome back to Two True Freaks, or welcome on board if uh, you're trying us out for the first time, thanks to the uh, political theme month crossover thingy that's going on. Um, I am Scott Gardner, one of your co-freaks for this episode, and joining me as always is my best friend, former mayor of Carthage, New York, the Right Honorable Chris Honeywell. Say hello, freak. Hi, how you doing? Good, good. How are you tonight? I'm I'm doing good. You know, as a former mayor, I think I'm I feel like I have the necessary credentials to talk politics. Yes, yes. Of having course. having dealt with the politics of the sprawling metropolis of Carthage, <laughs> New York. Of course. Well, you know the whole story, but I was mayor for a whole seven and a half minutes too. So, <laughs> but that's another story for another day. <laughs> Next time we're going over our scars, we'll. We'll we'll tell that story. <laughs> we just did a just to explain that we did an episode the other day. It, it turned into it'll be in the near future where we uh, pulled a Jaws and started <laughs> started naming off all our scars and our good bloody stories. But this this episode, well, this episode is going to be the last one that we did for this uh for this um what is it podcast of the week they call it. Although it's, it's really a, podcast of the month this month. month They're doing yeah. it the whole month. Podcast month, it's usually month, a weekly yeah. thing. Theme um, month. Theme month. Um, uh, we, did, we already did an episode that's, that's up now about uh, the presidencies of Superman and uh, Captain, Captain America. America. Captain America! And this show will probably just more hit lightly on the themes of just how politics and comic books mix. And uh, first, I just sort of like to start the whole thing off by nipping some stuff in the bud that I've noticed happens a lot on the interwebs, especially of of all places. But you know, whenever the politics and the internet, they're a natural combination, but they don't mix too well all the time. You know, maybe on a political website or something, but in geek world, especially so in the climate, in the climate today. It's pretty much America's in a state of somewhat sort of like a civil cold war where everybody's sort of split down the middle as to what they believe. So anytime you start talking about who you're going to vote for for president or who you think you should be president and stuff, things get really heated. 
you know, people, you know, it just, it just turns into a, a split down the middle and everybody piles on each other. It doesn't even always end up as a split down the middle, but it always ends up as a pylon. And I'd sort of like to avoid that and, and, and stay if, if, it's probably impossible for either of us to be apolitical, and and I mean we have, but, but the two of us have very different political beliefs. But whatever, and I'm sure both of our beliefs are very different than most of the people out there, or a lot of the people out there, enough of the people out there to clog up our our message board. For... You know, we've been accused. Well, maybe accused is a little strong word, but. Uh, we've it's been commented on several times in in different feedbacks that we've had that uh you know that we're some sort of mutual what do they call it a mutual admiration society for each other and i mean granted you know we're best friends we've known each other now for what 30 something years yeah. so we we think a lot alike we we do support each other and we do have very similar views but this political thing i think off the top of my head is probably the thing that you and i personally disagree upon the most sure. I, I think this is probably our mo our biggest difference in each other but that being said i i totally man i want to stay out of yeah. real world politics i'm, I'm, I'm used to disagreeing with people i'm used to arguing with politics i work at a bar so at the same time i'm getting alcohol and politics mixed up and i have to use all the politics i know just to keep out of a fight sometimes or to keep people from going at it with each other because just, you know, one one mention of where you stand and all of a sudden everybody's ears are perking up and they have very strong feelings about it. And I personally have... I'm personally a, just a cynical bastard when it when it comes to politics. It's it's as simple as that. I'm I'm not a big fan of them at all. I sort of watch them with the like deer in the headlights horror most of the time you know <laughs> there's there's not really a lot in politics that that really i feel um represents me nor do i really expect it in the mere in the near future or would i demand it because <laughs> i'm a freak but um really i'd like to keep our uh, like the talk about these episodes more on the format of the show like when if anybody decides to like go to our forum page and and comment on it, I'd really rather not hear by. And we were actually talking about like actually taking out much as I would hate to like take down someone's comments at all. But if somebody gets up there and like starts you know giving a speech for McCain or Obama or something, it's really you know I don't want to hear it. I hear it every day everywhere else. Mm -hmm. You know I'd rather I'd rather talk about. You know, comic books, and if if it has something to do with comic books, or even something nerdy in in politics, then it sort of sort of belongs there. But I just don't want it to end up to be a big fight about people's political ideal ideologies, ideologies. Amen, brother. Or whatever the hell that people call them these days, or ideology. Whatever, whatever Frankenstein creation that people have cobbled together and called a philosophy. But anyway, <laughs> you may be wondering <laughs> why I got this cynical. I could tell you the 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 exact pinpoint moment. I'm I'm gonna creak. Can you hear the old psychiatric couch creak back as I as I lean <laughs> back to recall the time when I became my eyes became opened as to how 
politics works in this country in my own it was back in now I can't remember maybe you remember I probably I don't know I should remember better than you but I can't remember if it was our junior year or senior year in high school it was one of the two and I don't know why I decided to do it it was um it was the same year that we published the underground paper Ooh, which uh, uh which was also that. the beginning of Scott's rant rant to the public <laughs> career. <laughs> He's been ranting as long as I know him, as long as I've known him. But that's when you had Clues Corner. Oh yeah, and I remember one of the one of the first things you wrote was a big rant about the lady who wrote, drove your bus. <laughs> oh, that's right. <laughs> Uh, I think you called her a stupid, mouthy bus driver <laughs> at some point. So, something to that effect. So yeah. it's really funny. We've both sort of been. We've both sort of been. You know, we were both do, sort of doing the same sort of thing in high school that we're doing now. Now we just got all these years of experience <laughs> and maturity <laughs> and high tech equipment. But um, we had this underground paper. So I think it was. I think that was our junior year, and for and. And I think it was earlier than that myself, but I honestly I can't remember. It all sort of mixes together, but I decided I was going to run for student council president because why not? the 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 the, the newspaper was very popular. It, it was very popular among among ninety percent of the the student body, mm -hmm. probably just because it had swear words in it and it was just generally critical and rude. So they liked it. So I decided. So I signed up to run for student council president. We had elections and and all that. And I think we even had some rudimentary form of a primary. And I got through that. And basically, I probably was going to get elected just on name recognition, in the most horrible American sort of way. I would have been like, you know, <laughs> Arnold Schwarzenegger basically, which is hilarious to compare myself in high school to Arnold Schwarzenegger in any way, shape, or form, but maybe just in that little tiny way. So the first thing that, that, that we um, that we did, once, once it was down to three candidates, and for the life of me, I can't remember who the third candidate was, but I know the winner ended up being Amy Fargo. And it was me and they, me and this guy and Amy Fargo, and they sat us down in the library, and they brought out the old crappy videotape machine that they had, and uh, you know, with a it, basically it had two reels, you know, that you wound the tape on, and big old record head, and clunk, they started up the recording, and the guy gave his speech, and then I gave my speech, which I had, you know. Being a big like teenage Monty Python British humor fan, just humor fan in general, I had a T-shirt on with the name of of uh, the Underground Paper on it, which said Harry Palm, which I had like taped on there, <laughs> and I had all these. I can't remember. I had all these flashcards, and somewhere I still have those filed away somewhere, but I had all these flashcards to uh, to get my point across, and all my points were humorous. And uh, and I also had a pig nose, you know, like a plastic pig nose. Oh, I, I remember I this. Yes, yes. Now I remember this. Yeah. 
And I said, I won't be one of those student council presidents who's trying to get in good with the teachers. I'd be in here as the voice of the students, you know, that kind of bullshit. And uh, so then, then I, you know, I gave my speech. You know, they turned the camera over to Amy Fargo. She's, she's cracking up. She's just like wiping her eyes and laughing. And okay, and then she gives her speech. Well, two or three days later, when it comes time to show the speeches in class, I can't wait. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm dying because at that point, any chance that we had to get on video or whatever was, you know, a big deal for us. So yeah, because we used to take the fake announcements down to the to the. <laughs> That's right. Just so we could hear, you know, them say Do whatever. Do Bonzo, please report to the office. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot about that. We got away with that a lot. Yeah, we did. Either that or they humored us. Either way, it was great. I think they were just too stupid to realize they were being played. You know, because we didn't do, like, Mike Hunt or anything yeah, like or, that. or just, Haywood you know. Jablomi or any of, any yeah. of the obvious ones. <laughs> um... <laughs> So, you know, we're in class and they got the they got the TV set up and we're going to watch the elections. So we see the guy give a speech. All right, here I come. Boom, static. And then back to Amy Fargo laughing. I'd been cut out. Completely they cut it out. It was, I remember this. It was inappropriate. Well, I threw a fit. What was inappropriate about it? Did I swear? You know, did I say anything inappropriate? No, I was humorous. So what? Who said I could couldn't be humorous, you know? Nobody. You know, I wasn't, you know, I wasn't given any guidelines to follow. They just said, you know, you're going to have five minutes to give a speech. Well, either way, it's been cut. The damage has been done. So that ended up, and, and this was all happening because the, um, the teacher who was in charge of the whole election was, of course, our favorite social studies teacher, the near-illiterate alcoholic Dick Staub. If you recall, we used to have a whole... Scott and I kept a notebook of all his horrifying Mediterranean Sea. He couldn't even say Mediterranean. It was Mediterranean, and he would spell it Mediterranean. And he would teach the whole class by writing stuff up on the board that we had to copy. And we would just be sitting there cracking up at the mangling of English that would be involved in it. Well, he was in... And he was... He sort of pictured himself as like more. He sort of looked like Morton Downey Jr., and he sort of, you know, I remember him giving the whole class a, a big lecture on when you know the in, during the '60s and they were letting all the students do their own thing and how you know how horrible it was. So we sort of knew what his his uh, his point. He he actually told me during this political campaign that I was so. He, I was just, I was too far on the right side, and I'm like, you mean on the correct side? And he's like, no, on the right, right side of politics. And I'm like, no, you mean left. <laughs> You're on the right. <laughs> so the guy wasn't too bright to begin with. And uh, another side note, my mother went to her senior prom with him. So Ooh, he, he could have been, he could have been my daddy. So oh, thank, what a frightening, horrifying thought. Thank. That's Whatever. the kind of thing that should keep you awake at night. <laughs> no, it's one of those things that you strike way to the back of your brain and forget about and never let it. <laughs> it's one of those things that's okay to forget about and not think about because 
Hey, life's too short to to torture yourself with that. Oh my god. Oh. That would have been great ammo, though. You know, like if you'd have known that earlier in your childhood, you know, like you get in an argument with your mother about something and, you know, you get grounded and, no, you can't go out and play with Scott. You'd be like, oh, yeah, yeah, well, well, you dated him, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> she said he was very nice and maybe he was back in the day, but boy, he was an idiot by the time he was teaching, teaching class, which was a common, uh, common thing in our school yeah we, we had we some had good a, teachers all idiot cast you know but we had we're some really... we had some r- real losers in there well anyway so um it the the whole um cutting out of my video uh, video sort of backfired on him in a, in a big way because then all of a sudden the you know the story in everybody's head was that you know this was some that i would absolutely berserk you know the stories of what i did kept getting worse and worse and worse and worse which was also a valuable lesson to me <laughs> about about reputation versus actual <laughs> doing anything <laughs> and and how much you know how much traction you can get off nothing just mm-hmm. with other people using their imaginations so that sort of backfired on him so by the time it was election day I was, you know, I was there. Everybody was just ready to vote for me. They were all, everybody was in the, between that and the underground newspaper. I was going to end up being student council president. And I was kind of psyched. And at the same time, I was a little disappointed because then I would have to be student council president and do whatever I had to do. But I would have done it, you know, and I would have, I would have taken it seriously enough, as seriously as any other, you know. Anybody else who did it, whatever, you know, I'm sure it was just some figurehead stupid position anyway. So, uh, but, oh my God, it would have been great if I was student council president. So it came to be voting day and uh, the ballots get passed along and guess what? My name wasn't on the ballots. So everybody voted and handed in their ballots between Amy Fargo and Guy X. And, uh, so of course I'm throwing a fit. I go down to the principal's office. We get all the players together. And now, was this Rambo Bob at this point? This Rambo Bob was, was vice principal. Oh, okay. And, uh, it was still, um, oh, what was that? What was our principal's name? <laughs> Shit. I only remember Rambo Bob. Mr. Raven. Mr. Oh, Raven. Okay. Bob Raven. Or maybe it was Bill Raven. Anyway, Mr. Raven. Mr. Raven was a was, Mr. Raven kind of looked like um, uh, I can't remember the actor's name, but uh, that'll do. Pig from uh, Babe. Oh Cromwell, yeah, yeah. James Cromwell. He kind of looked like that, and he was a very religious guy, but he was also kind of open-minded. But he didn't deal with any of this stuff. It was Rambo Bob, his vice principal, who looked like the principal from Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Yes, and did. sort of had the personality of that guy too, the personality of a limp piece of fucking dryer lint. And uh so it was we discussed well okay, what went wrong? Well they forgot it turns out Mr. Staub forgot to put my name on the ballot when he made the ballot, so it was a mistake. So I said, Okay, are we gonna have the elections again? Well, no, we're not gonna have the elections again. What we're gonna do is we're going to go into all the classrooms with you, with me, and uh, 
tell everybody, okay, what they did, they took me into all the classrooms and said, okay, we forgot to put Chris's name on the ballot. If anybody vote, if anybody wants to change their vote to him, raise your hand and tell us who you voted for so we can take a vote away from them and give a vote to Chris. Well, you know, it's high school. Nobody wanted to raise their hand and say who they voted for before. And especially when when it got to my class, Amy Fargo and the other guy were in my class. So nobody wanted to raise their hand and say, I voted for Amy, but now I want to vote for Chris, you know, in front of her. So I, I got very few votes that way. And that's when I discovered if, if you know, the, the power structure doesn't want you in, you ain't getting in. <laughs> if, you're, if you're not playing along with them, they'll just do whatever they have to do to keep you out. So that's where I started becoming cynical. That's where I was just like, you know what? <laughs> this is, you know, it, at the end of it, it, they were they all agreed that it was ridiculous and not fair. But, well, <laughs> it's too late now. And that's uh, just generally how I've noticed politics have worked since then in my adult life watching them as things happen and everybody goes that was terrible and by that time it's too late and something else comes along and you forget about the first thing so I, I'm the Al Gore of Carthage Central High School <laughs> I was robbed <laughs> stolen now I have to gain 80 pounds and sulk my life away and make a movie about global warming and, oh please! And talk please and no. Start speaking in a monotone. Let's Ugh. talk about comic books. Okay. Anyway. Speaking of which, so we need to talk about. That's why I'm a cynical books. bastard. But let's anyway. Let's do our uh, yeah. Let's get our uh, dot our eyes and cross our t's and uh, and uh, get talk talk about some of the other podcasts that are contributing to this. Uh, <laughs> this. Thing. All right. Well, officially, this is called the Comics Podcast Theme Month for October. Um, and the theme for this month is, of course, politics and comics. And I am looking at the page um, that Peter Rios created on their forum, the Comic Geek Speak forum for this. I'm hoping this list is complete as of our record. Well, I mean, as of our recording, this is the list. Um, if I miss anybody, I sincerely apologize. I'm just going by the list that's posted. These are the participating podcasts to date. And some of the potential topics that they may or may not be talking about. This is what they've given Peter, basically. Um, so first, of course, is CGS, Comic Geek Speak. And uh, their potential topic is Prez, the first teen president. Now, I don't know much about Prez, but I'm really – I'm, I'm kind of jazzed to, to listen to this episode. I have an is old that a comic? Super yeah, it, it was a character. It was, it was, yeah, it was a character. He was called Prez, and he was literally – he was a teen president. This was one of those goofy 70s yeah. – Prez, the teen president. Yeah, exactly. But I have uh, an issue of Supergirl. I think it was number 10 or 2. I forget. I could look it up real quick, but I'm a lazy bastard. So <laughs> let me see. Uh, I'll take a quick quick look here and see if I can I can discover what... Ah, shit. My computer's not wanting to work. Anyway, there's an issue of Supergirl where I think she's like threatening to drop him from like a massive height or something, which, you know... I wouldn't mind that happening to certain politicians, but sure. um, damn, that's gonna bug me now. I gotta find out what issue this was. Okay, I was right. It was number ten. 
and uh, and it's got Supergirl. This is this is Supergirl when she when she got to her uh, her hot pants stage. Yes, you know, after she'd been wearing that mini skirt for years and years, and uh, she's got him. Oh, they're up over top of the. Uh, it looks like uh, the Empire State Building, and he's going, Supergirl, don't drop me! And she goes, I have my orders, Prez. So Supergirl's like pulling a Nazi on him. You know, she's like, Well, you know, I'm I'm only following orders, so. Anyway, that's that's my exposure to Prez. That's all I really know him from. I, I never read any of the series or anything like that. Anyway, moving on. Um, ISR, which I believe stands for Indie Spinner Rack. It says uh, Veep's graphic novel. Um, also participating around comics. Catch the Craze. Collected Comics Library. Comic Book Noise. And they're going to talk about various elections in comics. Comic Book Roadshow, and they're going to cover four political cartoons from four different eras and their impact. Comic News Insider, Comic Related, Comic Timing, DC Noise, and they're going to talk about, uh, it just says, On DC Decisions. I believe that's a title of a, of a, of a series, DC Decisions. Um, the F-Bomb Cast. I like the name of that. I like the name of that one, too. I need to check that one out. That might be right up my alley. Um, Geek Nights, and they're going to talk about political manga or manga. Um, Geek Syndicate. Geeks Unite, and they're going to talk about Superman as president in Armageddon 2001 Annual, which, as you may recall, is one of the two comics that we discussed in our last episode. Now, before anybody bitches, I contacted this dude... Before we did that show, because he posted it first that he was going to talk about this. So I talked to him, and I and I said, um, I noticed you said you were going to talk about this. I kind of wanted to talk about it, too. Is that cool with you? He wrote me back. He's like, dude, free country. Talk about whatever the hell you want to, basically. So I thought that was awesome, but I did seek his permission before we did our show, so nobody bitch at me about that. All right. <laughs> I'm um, sure there'll be – I'll bet you there's a couple other people who do this, you know. It's just kind of a natural. Uh, yeah, you know, I, yeah, I'm sure we're not going to be the only two that are at least going to mention it. Um, just Bill's comic book drawer box, which is an excellent show, by the way. That's not to single him out from everybody else. I mean, I, I, I listen to a lot of these other shows. Everybody's got you know their their own spin. I I, I just really like Just Bill's show. Um, he's going to talk about Engelhart's. That would be Steve Engelhart. Engelhart's Captain America and. Supre- uh, Squadron Supreme slash Serpent Crown in Avengers, which I, I got to listen to that. I, I love that whole saga. Um, Quok Talk, that's K-W-O-K. I'm not sure what that stands for, if it stands for anything. Quok Talk. They're going to talk about top five villains to be president in times of crisis. That should like be that. a good one. That, yeah, could, that like has that. a lot of potential right there. I, I that, that sounds very entertaining. <laughs> Um, Major Spoilers. Um, that's the name of a show. Major Spoilers. They're going to talk about Ex Machina, and I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Ex Machina and, or my, my I don't know. I'm going to leave it right there. Yeah. And talking Frederick Wortham with Dr. Peter Coogan. Cupaw, ah. that stands for Quiet Panelologist at Work. They don't have a subject listed, but they're always a show worth listening to. Radio Wayne, and they're going to talk about Green Arrow as mayor. And I think he was mayor. Was it Seattle? I forget where he was mayor at. I'm not a big Green Arrow follower, but I do kind of remember that. Reanimators podcast. 
Two True Freaks. Now, that show sucks. Um, and uh, Wednesday's Hall, they're going to talk about Eagle, making of an Asian American president. And that's the list so far. So, uh, you know, give them a, a listen to, try them out if, if you haven't ever listened to them before, and, yeah. uh, and tell them that Two True Freaks sent you. Yeah, you can actually, um, as of this, as of actually our last podcast, which was on the presidencies of Superman and Captain America, um, I put a link on our um, Libsyn page, on our on our um, blog page that has the list of all our shows. So you can go to that link, and I believe all those link right to the pages of uh, of all the shows. So you can get oh. to, you can get to all the shows through our through our um, blog page there. Oh yeah, yeah. If you're talking about the list where I'm reading it from, yeah, yeah, they do. They all link. Yeah, they do. They all link to the individual shows, which is yeah, that's awesome. So yeah, that's, it goes right to their main pages. So that's the that's the easy way to get there instead of having to remember their name and and look them up. But uh, yeah, when we come back, we'll uh, we'll start. It's sort of a we don't really have as much of a topic as sort of just a loose um, just discussion about the effects of politics on comic books and um um probably we're probably we're mostly going to discuss which direction comic books slant towards the left or towards the right cool and uh we'll be right back after this important message that i don't even know what it is but you know what i know it's important (laughs) so listen close Mr. President, I'd like to introduce you to... Jill. Hi, Mr. President. Hello. Always nice to see you. Jill. You know, the mainspring of this country, wound up as tight as it is, is guaranteed for the life of the watch. And who's watching? People like you. Jill. Right on. And you. Marty. People who are alerted and unafraid to waste the little time that I've scheduled just for your question. State short question. Well, Mr. President, it's the bees and spiders again. They stole my food stamps and sold them to the rats. And I tried to get down to my car for the honk the horn for help, but the snakes is gardening for the cockroaches. I go back upstairs, but the spider just jammed the police lock. I ain't been inside for a week, and I know that my wife is sleeping with the bees. Could you state that as a question, please? Well, sure, Mr. President. Where can I get a job? Many busy executives ask me, what about the job displacement market program in the city of the future? That's right. Well, count on us to be there. Because if we're lucky tomorrow, we won't have to deal with questions like yours ever again. Thank you for question. Exit left to Funway. Mr. President, I'd like to introduce you to... Hello. Always glad to talk to you. You know, when you clock the human race with the stopwatch of history, it's a new record every time. Uh, that's a cute story, and Mr. President. Wins, and, I and who loses? People like you. Well, 
and you. Uh, Clem. People who are altered. Stop, Mr. President, please stop. Now, I know it means nothing to you. I'm only a clone, but you've got such a wonderful job and you're doing it so well. You know, we bozos have a saying. When you put on the nose, Could you state it grows. a question. It grows. Read to. Thank you very much. You'll be getting a handsome Simulfax copy of your own words in the mail soon. No. And my reply. Oh, by golly, Mr. President. Thank you're you for your question. Exit right to Funway. Oh, uh, yes, sir. Mr. President, I'd like to introduce you to... Uh, Clem. Hello. Always nice to see you. Uh, Clem. You know, the spring has... Yeah, we're back! And it's, uh... <laughs> it's, uh... Here's where we'll get to the, the semi-topic of our, uh... Our show, which is comics and politics, which is a very vague and wide-ranging... Um... Thing that I guess... I don't know. There's not a, a lot of stuff that I have a big opinion on, so I'm going to sort of keep it to what I know and what I have an opinion on. And um, I guess, you know, it seems to me that when comic books and, and politics get together, for the most part, it, it, in, in, a, in a clash of some sort, it usually has to do with censorship of some some form, you know, the first, most notably being, you know, in, well, uh, I think it was 1954, with uh, Seduction the, of the, the Innocent, and the, with, that Fred Wortham put out, and then, you know, it was a little later that they had to um, start the comic code, which is very much like, you know, the movie's rating system, or how the, um, um, video game rating system or the music sticker system sort of came about with somebody speaking up and saying these are you know destroying our children's minds and turning them to jelly and uh, there was a sort of voluntary all those all those rating systems are voluntary systems put in by the industries that they adhere to it just to I guess be good citizens and that's what sort of happened with the comic code is it were it was um um the creators of before pre mad magazine were creating a lot of uh e c comics were doing a lot of horror comic bloody horror crime comics with lots of implied sex and and violence and lurid lurid covers and that's what sort of got the whole thing going and mm -hmm. uh, so then you had the comic code, which laid down what you could and couldn't talk about, say, what words you couldn't say, what actions you couldn't portray. Like, you couldn't, I don't think you could have crime pay off in any way. It always had to be punished in some, some way, shape, or form. Yeah, yeah, uh, the bad guy always had to, had uh -huh. to meet his end or, or, or if, get jailed or, or get if, caught or, or if yeah. you committed adultery or were having premarital sex or something it usually had to end bad or probably not even happened at all would even be more preferable in that case and it sort of became you know um when you know when we when we started collecting comic books the the comic code stamp was just you just saw it on every comic book not now, not so much. It's not really uh, anything anybody really pays attention to anymore. But uh, 
And then there was well, that- even even at the point where we were coming in, though, I think it was beginning to wane a bit because you did have people that were starting to push that envelope. Right, you know? right. And and the thing is, it could be it's just like today. You could you could do a comic and not have it conform to the comic code. There were just probably certain distributors who wouldn't carry it unless it was, you know, co- code sanctioned. Just like if you make a movie today and you don't get it rated, you, you put it out unrated. Some movie theaters are just not going to show it. And some newspapers mm-hmm. aren't going to run ads for it because, you know, they're, they're, they're trying to adhere to the MPAA ratings, r- rules and regulations. So... You know that sort of that that put a little bit of a muzzle on comics. The, even the self censorship, you know, they had to they had to follow it. So, um, and another big notable occurrence in that was um, when uh, Spider Man did an episode on drug, uh, a comic on drug addiction. Mm-hmm. It was very for the time, very graphic and very. I, I mean, I think someone died at the end of it. I remember. I, I haven't read it since I was a little kid but um they had to release it without the um comic code because of the blatant mention of drugs in it and the topic and was was it you that was telling me that the government actually asked them to do yeah that was the funny thing about it was that you know the the whole the code thing was you know come about because of the whole you know scam with with Wortham and all that you know, but it was actually the government that that came. I forget which brand it was. I don't know whichever one deals with being concerned about kids and drugs. I guess uh, basically approached Marvel about you know releasing a, a comic that that you know that would take a stance against drugs, and uh, you know they thought it was a good idea and they decided to do it and uh, and then it wasn't going to be code appro- approved so basically they just said well you know can we do it without the can we release it without the code and uh, and they went ahead and they did it and it was uh, it was a big deal for its time I mean it was it was quite the the major and I'm trying to remember how many issues this was I know it was at least 96 is the one that I have in my own collection that's the the one um, I don't know if it's the end of the story, or I, I want to say it was a three-issue deal, but I honestly I'm I'm having trouble remembering now. But it, uh, I know '96 was one of the the big deals, and uh, I think that's the one where the kid actually kills himself, or he walks off a building, or something. Something he, like that. He's yeah. on something, and he thinks he can fly, or something like that. And uh, I believe this was right around the same time, or, or probably the same story arc where uh, where Harry Osborn got all hooked on whatever he was. I don't see. That's the thing is, I don't think they're ever specific about what it was. And uh, yeah, they, they, they might have made up the name of a drug. You know, if if I recall, they might have just come up with a name like you know Skiz or something like that. You know, all the kids yeah. are doing Skiz. Well, it De- seems you know, to me I've heard an sticks. interview they with were all the uh, death sticks. <laughs> it seems to me I've heard an interview with the uh, with the creator. I don't think it was Stan by that point on that issue, but I could be wrong. But yeah. whoever the writer was on that issue saying something about, well, I don't know anything about drugs, so you know if it comes off as whatever, you know, it's only because I was you know writing what I know and I don't know drugs, so you know, which was a good point. You know, I guess it would be yep. kind of kind of tricky to tr- have to make up 
you know, something like that and, and potentially look like a fool if you really don't know what it is you're, you're writing about and you're just having to make it up. But, uh, but it was a good issue. I mean, it, it was interesting. And it was, you know, one of those early, you know, one of those early political topics or, you know, topics of the day, you know, with a, with a, you know, that, that put them up against, you know, the whole code thing. Right. Um, you know, and some of the other things of that, around that same era where, uh, you know, in particular were like the, the Green Lantern, Green Arrow. Arrow stories, um, you know, where they really started to, to actually address, you know, political topics and, and topical issues of the day. Um, now, I like I like a lot of those stories too. You know, they they really started to to address real world issues and 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 get more involved in, in things that were happening real world. And uh, you know, and I think when you read those comics. You can tell, you know, that that comics were much more, you know, conservative in that time because Green Arrow stands out much more in his, you know, very liberal politics than I think that same character does today. That same character today doesn't seem to have, you know, quite the edginess and quite the... Uh, the confrontation with a lot of the, his peers as he did back in those days, because I, I think over time comics themselves have, have slowly but steadily moved left as well. Whereas back in the day they weren't so much. Yeah. I mean, what, what do you think about that? Well, back, I, well, it, this is something we sort of touched on in the last episode about the, the now, um, the, um, Just before, actually, before, well, no, I'll, I'll mention this later. But um, I think back in in the it was around the eighties that those um, the Superman and the and the Captain America as President comics came out, and mm -hmm. um, at that at that point, that politics would be approached in comics, and there would be political things going on, but they seemed to sort of uh, even at a, a I, I hate to use the term fair and balanced, <laughs> but they would sort of even it out. There would be, a li you know, the uh, civil rights were, you know, comics were always champions of civil rights, but they were also, you know, traditional American values. So they sort of rode the fence between both both sides of of the of the two sides that I guess were are all we get in America. So they sort of took what you know, they could from both of them and just sort of made a vague, you know, they, they wanted to stay out of it. it. I don't think it was actually, it would have, there would have been any reason for it to even like make money for them to be political. You know, it's, it's better off that they don't make waves in that direction. But of course, you know, as time went on, the, the boundaries started getting pushed and that's where the next, sort of censorship battle took place where the comic book legal defense fund happened which was in 1986 they found it as a non-profit organization and that was over um you know a bunch of uh, comic book store owners who were getting in trouble for um 
for distributing comics like Omaha the Cat Dancer, Bizarre Sex, Weirdo, um, a lot of a lot of underground comics mostly, but uh, that definitely were full of sex and violence and drugs and stuff like that. And uh, you know you'd find these comic book shop owners or managers, and you know facing federal prison terms over selling a copy of Omaha the Cat Dancer to someone who was 17 or it got into somebody underage's hand or something like that. So that was that was sort of the second stage of it and that was when comics were really starting to uh um stretch the envelope more of sex and violence and this and the same went with politics. And uh that's the point and I'll agree with you that in since that point now we you know we may disagree whether it's a good or bad thing or either way well I don't know if we would even disagree too strongly on that but uh it definitely has sh you know but there's been a shift in the to the left and now I have I have a theory about about that and I've noticed I I actually tried to make a conscious effort to see if I could come up with a list of comics that I thought from the from you know the 70s on that that seemed right wing that seemed that I that that would fall into the sort of stereotypical this is a this is a comic that's more republican or conservative than anything and the two natural ones to think of are captain america and superman but they never really did you know that i mean they they would seem like they would be because they're red white and blue all American, but they always mm. they always sort of straddled both both things and were very very centrist towards that. It seemed to me, and and I think may, may, mainly because they were both huge parts of their you know respective comic book companies' income. So it's it's just like uh, Disney. Disney doesn't want to be political either. Right, you know, Disney doesn't want to offend anybody. They want to make it, you know, something that any, you know, anybody of any political persuasion is going to enjoy. So, um, a couple that came to my mind right off the top of my head were the Punisher and the Vigilante comics, which uh, I don't think was Vigilante was DC and Punisher was Marvel, right? That's right. Yeah, and. Uh, I think Vigilante was sort of a direct one of those first like one of the first direct sales or in those early years of some of direct sales comics. Yeah. It was a little more violent, had some swearing in it and maybe a little bit of cheesecakey nudity here and there and lots of, you know, lots of harsh subjects, you know, of you know, things happening, you know, child molestation and stuff and he was sort of like the TV character the equalizer you know he would he would get revenge on the on the guys who took the underage girl and got her hooked on drugs and turned her out as a prostitute or whatever and uh so it was sort of like death wish too like the Charles Bronson movies so that yeah. that, that that stuff's that you know kind of stero stereotypically right wing and um maybe GI Joe to to an extent, you know, but not really. Just in sort of the idea of GI Joe, rather than the actual uh, 
um, stories or characters in G.I. Joe. Although they are all gun, God, gun, and guts type characters, you know, and so that, so that, you know, means like Sergeant Rock, stuff like that. Anything military would sort of fall right wing, but nothing, you know, if I'm looking for left wing comics, I can go, I can go nuts, you know. I mean, you can find, if, if you find a comic that's overtly political, um, a good example of that, I think the guy who edited, edited it is named, uh, Peter Cooper, K-U-P-E-R, and it's, uh, called World War Three. and I don't know if it still comes out, it would come out sporadically, and it was magazine size, and it would, it was an anthology, and pretty much, you know, there was one story in there, and one of them I saw that was uh, about 9-11 and it was basically by somebody who lived right down the street from where it happened and it was just the stories of what they and their neighbors experienced that day so it wasn't really overtly political it wasn't saying anything about George Bush or anything like that but that was about the only story I've ever seen in a World War Three comic that was that that was sort of nonpartisan, and, and it's very it's a very I mean it's a very good book. It's very well edited, very good stories. There was a great one on the Tus Tuskegee experiments where uh, they took black prisoners and um, injected them with venereal diseases and told them they were giving a, you know asked them if they wanted to sign up for an experiment for a new vaccine and they were actually giving them you know gonorrhea. And then watching to see how long it took them to die, you know, and Jeez. just sort of taking notes on it. And uh, oh yeah, it was you know huge when when that you know it was it happened, and then you know decades passed before it came to light. But that that was the first I'd heard of it was through that comic. And then there was another one that's really great that I would say would be my favorite political comic of all time, and. Uh, it was uh it was a, a sort of two power parter one it was a graphic novel size and you would read the story on one side and flip it over and you'd read the second story which was upside down from the first one and the first one was basically it was written by Alan Moore and drawn by Bill Senkowitz and uh was a history of the CIA as told by the CIA is represented well, the United States is re represented by this old beat-up eagle that's, you know, telling his war stories about the CIA. The CIA is his right hand, which he can detach and send off to do his dirty work and not have to <laughs> be attributed to him. And it's it, it's great. The way that they, um, they would talk about us funding conflicts down in, you know, Central America and stuff... But instead of saying this is how many people died, they would represent each battle in how many he would figure out how much blood was in a person and translate it into swimming pools full of blood. So Jesus for he, each 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 war or anything that we got involved in, there would be a little you know almost like hash marks on a prison wall of just like swimming of Olympic sized swimming pools full of blood. You know, this one was worth 700 swimming pools full of blood. <laughs> and that sort of, that puts it in... He, Alan Moore is a really good writer, and he just was very good at putting something like the CIA 
and how the CIA works is such a gnarled and tangled and complex thing that it's just almost impossible to understand it you know it takes mm -hmm. it takes a really good writer to write it in a in a way you could understand and that's the best part of that the other side is uh the story of uh, a bunch of reporters who ended up i i don't know if i think they were in el salvador and uh they wound up being at the wrong place at the wrong time they were interviewing a rebel leader of you know the uh, the underground in central america and at the time that they were interviewing him somebody planted a bomb and blew him up and killed most of them and a couple of them lived without legs but basically wiped all, out all these american reporters and as as you know research went into it and people and investigations started it turned out the person who who blew him up was working for the cia was a um, mysterious operative you know, so it turned out the CIA had blown up some American reporters, which is a no-no. So, <laughs> so the story of that, but that one's more straight-up documentary. You know, the art style is very mainstream. The one, the Senkowitz Alan Moore one, is one of the most creepy, great things I've ever read. But what's the name of that one again? Um, Shadow Play. Hmm. I don't think I've read that Shadow one. Shadow plays the Bill Senkowitz Moore side. The whole thing is called Brought to Light. Hmm. And that came out, that had to come out in like 90, 91, 92, something like that. Actually, I remember I didn't buy it at a comic store. I found, I got it at like a Walden Books or something like that. But, um, but definitely it's far easier to find... Um, left-wing ideology in a comic book these days. Now, I found a website. I can't find it again. I bookmarked it, but it's somehow I can't find it again. And it seemed like there was somebody who was starting up a right-wing comic company, and they were going to be semi-adult look at, you know, like they'd probably be rated PG-13 to R movies. And, uh, they were all going to be right-wing stories, but it doesn't look like anything. It's, it started up a couple years ago, but I haven't seen anything updated on it after 2006. And they had a lot of pictures of Sean Hannity on it, so Sean Hannity might have put some money into it or was just a fan of the person who was writing for it or something. But that didn't seem to, like it got off the ground. There have been a number of celebrities that you know have had you know political celebrities that have had you know comic book uh you know comics either you know based on them whether it's you know sure. it was a parody or their life story or one that i always wanted to get my hands on and i, I still have not managed to track down there was one it was uh howard stern versus uh rush limbaugh which i always thought oh would, my god must must have been a, a fun read but i, I still haven't managed was to it track sort of like out. sort of like that mtv show celebrity death match some sort of oh, thing i don't know some sort of <laughs> fictional meet, meeting of the two I really don't know much about it other than it was, you know. Now, are those two at odds at all? Because I've listened to I, I've I've listened to both of them. Rush Limbaugh, not really. My my friend, you you know him too, Kevin. He used to listen to Rush Limbaugh all the time, although he diametric, 
diametrically disagreed with everything he said. He said, I just like to hear what he's up to. I used to hear him a lot, and that was before he really rose to prominence. And he used, I used to hear him listening to him a lot. And I've, and, and you know, I've listened to, I've turned the radio on to him before, but I've never really heard Howard Stern or Rush Limbaugh really badmouth each other. So I don't no, know I don't think they badmouth each other, but I they do are think kind of at odds. <laughs> yeah, they're at odds. Uh, yeah, exactly. But I, yeah, I, I could be wrong, but I don't believe I've ever heard them necessarily trash talk each yeah. other or anything. I would but, like uh, to see that comic though. I bet it's it. It should be great. <laughs> well, Rush is actually an interesting subject when it comes to comics because you know you were talking about Superman and. You know, Superman is definitely one that you would think of, you know, like I mentioned before, I think of Superman, you know, just by what he represents and the way that he carries himself and, and just the way he's been written largely over, you know, his career, you know, Pat, and when you get past the golden, or, you know, the original right. golden age stuff, I think he's been written very conservatively, you know, very much... Um, I don't want to necessarily say as a Republican, because I, you know, I, I well, by Dark Knight he was definitely portrayed as a Republican. Well, yeah, 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 I think so. But uh, you know, I'll just say conservatively. But I think that there has been, you know, and this is not just for Superman. I think this goes for all comics, you know, all mainstream Marvel and DC stuff right across the board. I think there has definitely been a push to push them left you know I, especially I have a theory in about that. years but uh but what i was getting to was with superman it seems like every once in a while they push it and then it seems like it pushes back but um a, a while back right around the time that superman went to the the electric superman thing you know where he his powers mutated and for a while, he became the he became the blue electric Superman, and then they eventually split him in two, and it was the it was what they called Superman Blue and Superman Red, and you know they were both electrically based, you know that he had like electrically based powers. There was this character that he met up with. I believe it was somebody he rescued out of the Bottle City of Candor, if I remember right. It was this creature called Scorn. He was like this big blue. He almost looked like a like a minotaur, you know, he had now, the, the horn. The, the late nineties around about. Yeah. So. Yeah. Re, re, yeah. Whenever that blue Superman thing had, yeah, this, I believe that was late nineties. It's been a while ago, but that blue guy, his name was scorn. And, uh, he ended up, he just became like a, like another alien living in metropolis basically. And he ended up, falling in love with this little blind girl and her father worked at the daily planet and was very obviously um a what would be the word caricature. not a caricature thank you of rush limbaugh and not a kind one at all i mean it was very obvious that whoever created and and depending on what writer and what title was was writing the character it was very obvious that somebody had it out for rush limbaugh that you know the character looked like him talked somewhat like him and it was very obviously meant to be him 
but in a in a pretty mean spirited way. I mean, he was portrayed as you know because his daughter was dating this blue alien. You know, he was portrayed as pretty much the prejudiced. way. The, yeah, exactly. The, pretty much the way that the media tries to portray Limbaugh as. You know, he was a total bigot, total racist, you know, totally intolerant, you know, closed-minded, you know. And uh, I was glad to see that character fall by the wayside. I don't – I I can't remember what the resolution of that – if it ever well, even had one. It seems to me that there might have actually been a bit of an outcry about that whole thing. And I think maybe DC just kind of when, – when Superman uh, – very quickly went back to being the traditional Superman because that whole uh, electric Superman story just did not Didn't strike a chord really with the fans. Um, <laughs> when they pretty much abandoned that and very, very quickly went back to the traditional, you know, Superman, I think that character, you know, there, there, right around that same time, there was a, uh, a creative team shakeup. I think that character just kind of yeah, went well, away. I also I, I also think during that time period Rush Limbaugh was huge. That was at the mm-hmm. peak of his popularity. So, mm-hmm. you know, he was a he was a very easy target to take a poke at, you know. There's you I mean, come on, how many how many um parodies do you think there've been of George Bush, you know, in oh, yes. in comics because he's a president and it's just a, it's it's he was an easy target. He was very popular, so it probably helped boost the um, boost sales, or or was you know it was somebody people would easily recognize. And you, you know see, what's funny is uh, he largely uh, President Bush largely got a pass from DC um, during his presidency, largely due to the fact that um, in the DC universe he was never president because uh, Lex Luthor ended uh, ended up getting. You know, for for that for uh, I believe it was for his first term, so you know through most of Bush's real world pre- presidency, there was actually fictional presidents in the DC, in the DC universe. universe. I thought that was very interesting. That, you know that that, you that know. kept him out of it pretty much. You know, <laughs> out of any kind of trouble. Um, see, I have a theory for why, and it's not just comic books. It's why Hollywood. And why, you know, you can argue, you know, and I'd and I'd I'd prefer that we don't argue about whether, you know, the the media leans left or right, and whether you you know, if you watch Fox News, the media leans left. If you watch MSNBC, the media leans right. I tend to believe it it, it does lean left, as does Hollywood, as do do. Does, do most things that involve that t- artistic type of people. I think artistic type of people lean left. I think the the things that artists and writers and filmmakers and even reporters, the things that they, um, I think those, I think that that type of person, which I'm I'm one of them, tend to be more of an idealist. So they're thinking more of like social. They're, they're thinking more of um, social issues, you know, pre- prejudice and freedom of speech. And um, a lot of times, the people that are artistic usually are a lot of times kind of outsiders or less into. You know, most of the people who become really good, say, comic book artists, 
didn't spend as much time chasing girls as they did in their room drawing pictures during right. when when their when their when their classmates were doing stuff like that and god knows if you're in the comic book industry you're definitely not in an industry that tends to make a lot of money when you tend to make a lot of money you tend to skew towards the right a little more cuz that that um at this point in time in america not that the right wing stands for that but at this point in time the right wing has a lot of you know uh, it's has a lot of rich people in it so there's a lot of perks for if if you're making a lot of money you know you can, you tend to to make a lot more money under a right wing administration so that's you you're more geared towards that which hollywood though they make a lot of money <laughs> so it doesn't as much pan that theory doesn't pan out as much towards hollywood but in Hollywood, you got, and you notice most of the people who have the big mouths in Hollywood who are getting on that are super lefties. There's a couple, you know, right wingers like John Voight will get on TV and say, you know, this is my belief. But for the most part, you got, you know, Tim Robbins and George Clooney and the, they're actors and actors are flakes. <laughs> but they, they tend to, so they, they, uh, they, of course, get on there and they're so full of the you know they're all they're actors they're all about themselves and exploring themselves and they're you know once they become popular they think i have a responsibility towards society in order to help everybody it's a sort of oprah syndrome you know i've perfected my being now and re i can help other people be just like me and then they get on and spout off For about bad. it so so that's why you end up sort of with a left leaning uh, I think a lot of the people who are right leaning don't end up in creative positions as much except for radio which is something I have an experience with now when I was just in college radio it's a microcosm of real radio and you, you know you it, the, the way radio is now does not foster any kind of artistic it fosters entertainment but entertainment through you know opinion somebody spouting an opinion whether it be right or left wing you know if you're a loudmouth and you can you can get on there and rant people love to listen to you on the radio so radio is definitely skewed right and that's become sort of the stronghold in the media of any, of any like strong right wing opinion outside of say Fox News and the occasional commentator on um I can't remember that one guy's name that uh he does a morning show on one of the MSNBC Glenn Beck? No, well Glenn Beck's a, Glenn Beck's another example of uh of a uh, of a right leaning guy on a in a left leaning network um, but uh, no, this guy has this guy ha has a has country named after him. It's something country, and he sort of looks like a miniature, weird, genetically altered Sean Hannity. He's got that big, <laughs> you know. He's got that fat Jay Leno head. You know what I mean? <laughs> anyway, no. it doesn't matter. That's just my theory. I think. I think. I think artists skew left and they end up in the in those in those positions so so the 
you know that's where that's where the media goes and and the media for the most part the left sort of seeps out of it but they're going for money you know i was thinking about fox the other day and i i almost exclusively i flip between fox news when i'm getting news off tv when i'm getting news off tv i'm getting it for entertainment value period so I go to Fox or I go to MSNBC. I go to one of the either the polls, and I watch both of them say the exact opposite of what the other one's saying, and and you know and and both of them you know there's a skew in both of them, but you know the Fox skew and the MSNBC skew are both super skewed. You know MSNBC leans more left than say CNN or CBS or ABC or anything else you're watching. And and I was thinking about Fox, and I'm like, man, they're just, you know, relentlessly right-wing. But you got Fox TV where The Simpsons is, and that's some of the most, you know, Fox TV has been responsible for some of the most blatantly left-wing and or offensive and boundary-pushing as far as uh, crassness levels of any network, you know, and have had some of the most, like, in living color, wasn't really political, but as far as it was, it was very liberal, and it's sort of embracing of multiculturalism, you know, the music, and it was, it was, it was definitely, like, sort of black-oriented, because the people who made it were black, but it had, you know, um, Hispanic members of the cast. Jim Carrey was in the cast. You know, they they had a, a whole ensemble cast that sort of like was a. But that's on Fox, <laughs> and you know, The Simpsons have been had some of the leftiest shows. Oh you yeah, could, you could ever see. So, but and 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 the, and the Simpsons at one time. I mean. What's really funny is you probably wouldn't have Fox News right now if it wasn't for The Simpsons, because The Simpsons were like the cash. When Fox was a scrappy little network with In Living Color and Tracy Ullman show where The Simpsons came from, they were they were just you know they were starting to like be successful with like Married with Children and stuff. But when The Simpsons came on, that's when they had their monster, you know. And the Simpsons had, you know, marketing and merchandising coming out the ass with it. So the money just started rolling in. And the Simpsons were basically keeping that network alive for the longest time. I mean, they're on their 20th year right now. So they've been the, I don't think so much that they're the cash cow of Fox, but they probably <clears throat> kept Fox around long enough to become the success that it is that you have Fox News and it's and uh it's kind of ironic but at the same time it's it's all about making a lot of money you know <laughs> when it all comes down to it all of that is all about you know mm -hmm. Fo Fox News would Fox News would start steering right over and would start like start smoking bongs and dreading up their hair and going to dead shows <laughs> If all of a sudden they started making zero money and had to do that to, if they wanted to pull in the big cash, they might not do it all at once, but they'd slip over there because, hey, you know, you got to feed your kids. <laughs>
You know what's ironic is, uh, come to think of it, I have seen and heard many more comic book related stories or heard like comic book references from from people on Fox News than I ever have on on CNN or any of the other news networks. I, I think that's kind of strange and ironic. I wonder why that is. I think I think Fox is Fox is a very enter it's entertainment based news. And and there's I I had a really talk interesting uh well I didn't have a talk with him but I was listening to the guy talk and I can't remember his name off the top of my head but he's just written a he's a journalist and he's written a book about why our why journalism is like it is today which is for the most part most journalism that people see is either on the TV or on on a newspaper or a magazine and why that's very superficial and it doesn't really um it it doesn't really have the depth and the openness you know and the um objectivity that it used to you know it's not just a pure reporting of the facts and basically <laughs> the formula is now that now that every media company is a mega corporation that is bound to you know stay profitable for their shareholders um that it it doesn't make financial sense to uh to uh do real news real news takes a lot of money real like research <laughs> he he mm. he was he was saying oh who could it be <laughs> sorry <laughs> but real real research on stuff costs a lot of money it takes a lot of man hours he said he wrote one book where every page on it basically averaged out to about 150 hours of you know research and and phoning up people and tracking down people and getting information straight to write a page of this book you know and it was this huge tome and he's like you know it took me 15 years to write this book and and god knows how much money that i had to track down by grants and stuff to get all this information and it's so much easier and cheaper to just take the news and then throw it at somebody who has an opinion about it because they don't have to do it they don't they only have to do a minimal research and then it's just opinion and they and you can fill all the and the time you want with that and it's just easier cheaper and people consume it more so it's become so it's, it's like it's like seeing a, one of these forums on TV, basically, yeah, where you just kind of throw throw a nugget out there for discussion and then run with it, but it doesn't necessarily have to have any any fact or or basis in anything. It's no. it's really largely an opinion. But yeah, I, I can see it's that. It's just I something that gets people's that. emotions going. So right. so when you watch when you watch the when you watch the news, it gets your emotions going either way. If you agree with what you're seeing. Yeah, you're rooting for it. If you don't agree with it, yeah, you're getting wound up that way. But either way, it gets you wound up, and that's enjoyable on some level in the human brain. Well, that's that's the entire basis of uh, 
oh, what's his name show on Fox? Uh, that Red Eye show is basically that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they just snap. They snag some headlines out of the news, and they just and you've got chatter you know, about four them. or five people that just talk about it. It yeah. is. It's largely like a like a forum. I don't you know, know what those people, what most of those people did before Red Eye, but they're probably stand up comedians or something. Yeah, you know? yeah. They they usually have a, a comedian, maybe one one news person, sure. and then they the regulars. You know, sure. It's that's a cheap and easy show to make. You know, you have your set. That that show is just two sets. It's it's their set that they stand on, and then a couple little sets where you have the people who are on the screen. You know, who are in a in another studio, and uh, yeah, it's easy. It's the same format every time, and all you need are all the people there to do their to act. You know, and they all have their own personalities and their own ways of picking on each other. Yeah, it's cheap and easy, and they're rude, <laughs> so it's entertaining to watch, and it's entertaining to watch whether it's as a, at a, as a train crash or I'm. Yeah, speaking of train crashes, I'm very interested. I'm gonna do a double feature, a daredevil. It'll be the equivalent of going to the movies and flipping between MSNBC, and Fox. I'm gonna go see when W comes out. Now I hope I can time this because one of the movies is out already. Please just download the don't give don't give that freak any money. <laughs> you see I love Oliver Stone though. I love uh, you know, oh, I, I have a Christ. feeling I have a feeling this movie is going to be it's going to be a train wreck. It's going to be that it's going to be like the when, you, when you're driving down the road and you see a dog taking a shit by the side of the road. And the dog's looking at you like, please don't look at me while I take a shit. But you have to stare at it because it's just so horrifyingly, like, awful. There's something wrong with you. It's like a train crash, you know? You just got to watch. And I know it's just going to be, it's got to be so over the top. I mean, just from the commercials, you can tell it's going to be so ridiculously over the top. And then I'm going to balance it out by going to see the... uh, parody of michael moore the american carol i want to go see that well that i've i've seen lots of lots of clips from it awful awful it's the the thing about it is is it's if you're gonna do it from what i can see from it if you're gonna do a political satire you gotta go for the throat you know you don't mess around with um say physical humor or you know it's like it's the guy it's one of the guys who did airplane and um so it has a it's got that airplane style to it but he should just it should be it should really be ham- it looks like it should be hammering on Michael Moore more than it is you know a lot of it looks like it's just sort of physical jokes that aren't really i mean if you're going to be political with that go all the way with it go over the yeah, top yeah but see that's that's kind of the problem with the whole with the whole uh republican stance see this is getting too much into real politics more than i want but that that's my whole problem with the with the republican party right now anyway because i've been saying that for the longest time that if mccain wants to win this election you got to act like you want to win the election and you know letting the other guy you know it's like getting into the ring for for yeah, a that, boxing match nobody knows if you're gonna nowadays let the other what guy to just do 
you know, if you're going to get in there and let the other guy just pummel the living shit out of you and you're never going to throw a punch, you're pretty much going to lose. And that's kind of the way I look at, you know, the last several Republican or the last several elections, rather. It's a miracle the Republicans have ever won anything because they get in there and they let the, the Democrats beat the living hell out of them and they don't fight back. They play nice guy politics and it's it's a miracle they ever get anywhere. Really? And that's, that's kind of the way that this movie, you know, yeah, it looks funny and it looks you know, whatever, but like you say, yeah, it doesn't look like it has any real bite no, to it. No, it doesn't. Whereas, you know, you look at the You look at Michael Moore movies, at, Michael yeah, Moore exactly. movies have big old teeth on them. I'm, I'm, yeah, they're never, nothing but bite and bile. Yeah, I don't, I don't, exactly. I don't always agree with Michael Moore, but I just, as a filmmaker, I've always been a big fan of him, although I did, I was look, I was like, you know, it's really cool that he's made all the you know, his last two documentaries have been among the biggest grossing documentaries of all time. So he said, this movie is going to be, you know, my ne- next movie is going to be a freebie. You can just go download it and watch it. And I'm like, that's cool. You know, that's a potentially $20 million that he's just thrown away. And I went to watch it and it sucked. Sucked. <laughs> Why it was free. It, exactly. It was just like, oh, okay. Very disillusioning. It, because... It was it was not his it was not one of his movies. It was basically just someone took a camera around and filmed him giving speeches in two thousand you know, it might have been rousing if, you know, the Democrats had won in two thousand and four. It was all about him going out and getting the votes up and riling everybody up. So he's not saying anything incisive. He's just rousing people up. So it's all just rhetoric that he's saying, you know, we're right, they're wrong. Yay! But the thing is, they lost. <laughs> so that you know, the, and it doesn't really have a position or a thesis that it's trying to put forward. It's just a straight documentary of this is. It has a few little cute little advertisement type parody things in it, but they're still, eh, there. That sort of stuff. I don't like it when he does. I like when he does the straight documentary that's trying to prove his point. You know, he's very good at proving his, uh, taking his footage and making his point with it. And, you know, obviously there's a lot of dispute over whether he massages the facts. But I mean, I, as far as I'm concerned, it's a hundred percent that he does. You know, I can, I've seen in every single one of his movies, he's done something manipulative, um, from Roger and me right up. There's been stuff that I knew that was not as unrehearsed as it looked, you know, or not, uh, or, you know, spontaneous as it, as it was supposed to be, but still, I've always, but boy, this movie was just half-assed, and, and <laughs> I'll just, it was, you know, it was, it was him living up to his stereotype, you know, it was him, and for a while, he was a really hard guy to criticize or to make fun of, but then once he started really making a lot of money, he started just acting. He's he's so dyed-in-the-wool Democrat. He drives me nuts. You know, he's not, he's going to stick to that party line no matter what, which doesn't mm-hmm. seem like from his, from his movies. From his movies, I would peg him as a straight-up socialist, you know, type of, by his just stance against, you know, big business and capitalism, but uh, you know, 
I don't know, yeah. but I, I, I've liked, so far, I've pretty much liked all his movies. The only one that I thought was kind of weak was one called The Big One, but it was still entertaining, but it was just kind of weak. But there wasn't really much going on at that point. The comedy where we go to war with Canada or something like oh, that? Oh, that was terrible. Yeah, I forget about that. Okay, well, anything that is... <laughs> No, no pieces of fiction. You know, no, no. I mean, is that the big? One? That was the big one, right? Was, no, no, no. The big one was a documentary about a, a book tour he did. Oh, okay. But, uh, no, this one was to... called uh, Canadian Bacon. Was the That's name right. Of that one. That's right. I haven't seen all of it. I saw about an hour of it. it has Rhea Perlman in it. See it's it. terrible. <laughs> so clumsily, he's not a Hollywood. He's not a narrative director, you know. His the comic timing on it was just horrend. It was horrendous. It was like, it was like, if you took all the goodness out of uh, Strange Brew with Bob and Doug McKenzie, <laughs> and mixed it with a half a, a low budget Doctor Strange Love, and it's not even that interesting. Yeah, I forgot about that. That sucks too. Okay, we'll put that we in the suck column. We are so incredibly far. <laughs> I don't even know where where we've gone in this episode. We've gone from Frederick Wortham to to Michael Moore, and I don't know how we got there, but uh, yeah, Michael bringing Moore it all. Really have anything. We were talking about the the slant and slant in the media. Bringing it all back to that the 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 left lean that that comics have taken these days. Uh, I don't know personally. I'd, I'd have to chalk it all up to the you know it's the will of the Illuminati and our alien masters. <laughs> you know what's funny though is the people who think it's slant to the right blame it on the same people. So the, <laughs> there you go. I think it's just. I think it's straight up. Um, economics that stuff sells better and I think it's the people who end up writing and drawing it are just a, a, a bit more a bit more lefty and I think that the comics are a little more you know they're a little more defensive about that sort of stuff because of past censorship issues that could be you it know? could very well be. so that might have driven that might have driven them left a little bit you know by uh, you know, it was, I mean, the um, the reason the Comic Book Defense Fund popped up was right about the same time that the PMRC was trying to, you know, put stickers on records. And what's really funny is the PMRC is viewed as this sort of Reagan-y, right-wing, you know, censorship conspiracy. But it was Tipper, it was Tipper Gore who spearheaded that. And uh, interestingly enough, I think it was about a year before that, Al Gore, Senator Al Gore, was trying to pass legislation to have music um, labeled, you know, for for um, content. Some of which they wanted to label it over satanic content, which, you know, is totally putting religion into the whole thing. But it didn't pass. It didn't, you know, the, it was laughed out of existence. And so, you know, a year later, Tipper Gore comes out with this concocted story of her daughter listening to a Prince album and her being shocked by the lyrics and spearheading this whole, you know, program spearheaded by moms and parents, you know, 
not a political organization, but, you know, parents to protect their children. And then it actually happened. You know, it, it actually worked. And there was national discourse on it. So that the, the, just as a side note, just that was a that was a left wing attack. <laughs> that that just most people have in their head as a sort of but my theory is the left wing and the right wing both just steal different rights from you. The right wing <laughs> the right wing when they take your rights they, they try to control what you do. And the left, both of them try to control what you say, but the left, the, the right wing is more interested in what you do, as in, say, you know, sex, drugs, rock and roll type stuff. The left wing is more interested in controlling what you think, you know, when, as in political correctness, as in, you know, we have to, you know, there has to be a party line as to what is right or wrong. And if you don't toe that line, then you're thinking incorrectly, and they and they try to set uh, um, uh, what's the word I'm searching for a um, they 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 set a tone where people are afraid. You know, that's what political correctness is to make mm -hmm. people afraid to say th certain things or to to think in a certain way. Now. A lot, you know, in both cases, a lot of the things that they're trying to, try, you know, are well-intentioned, you know. It's like, okay, we don't want people, you know, racial slurs hurt people's feelings and are bad and ugly. Everybody can agree. And and that's the thing is usually all this stuff, either side usually uses things that everybody can agree is bad to push, to push away more rights you know everybody knows that child molesters are bad everybody knows that drugs are bad you know everybody knows that this and this so as long as you're against that it's almost a no-brainer and if you can use that to to take away rights it's very hard to fight it and that's how they both that's how they both get you <laughs> either way they're gonna get you <laughs> That's why I live in a bunker. <laughs> well, we need to wrap this one up. Yeah, man. yeah. I gotta, I gotta go through, set all my booby traps, bar all the doors, and go to bed with my night vision goggles on in case I have to get up and fight the black helicopters. You know how just... that is, though. Yeah, I just keep tinfoil on my head. <laughs> and I, I'll say this for you. You had tinfoil on your head way before it was fashionable to have tinfoil on your head. So way ahead of the curve on that one. It's the lining that's the tinfoil lining in my underpants. that really, that's... <laughs> Yeah, people always used to make fun of the way you crinkled when you walked down the hallway. It chafes. <laughs> oh, Oh well, um, hmm? cornstarch. Use cornstarch. That's what I use. <laughs> I use cornstarch, and don't uh, get get you know get your name brand aluminum foil. For God's sake, people, don't go out to the dollar store and get that dollar store crap. It's not a. It's not gonna stop the evil waves. B. It's uncomfortable, and C. Ninety percent of it comes from China, so it's probably coated with battery acid and poison. 
So lead paint. Yeah, exactly. And, but having a little bit of lead, you know, can't hurt either. I I have a friend who um he's he's got a a cancerous growth in his leg that's completely operable. They're go, it's you know, he's going to he's going to pull through it. But uh they had to give him a PET scan and they they radiated him and he was so radioactive that that he had to lock all his cats in in a different room in his house and no pregnant ladies were allowed to be in his house. <laughs> Nobody's supposed to be in the same room for with him for 24 hours. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I, right. I, if I would have had if I would have had my cheap made in China aluminum foil, I could have gone in the same room with him with no problem. Well, we need to wrap this one up. Yeah. <laughs> I'm babbling like it's 5:30 in the morning. It's only 9:30 at night. I know. I gotta go to work. So anyway, that's our our politics and comics part two. That's all you're gonna get from us. Sorry. <laughs> hopefully we didn't. Hopefully we gave everybody enough to think about and not enough to fight about. <laughs> I think so. All right, we can be contacted at our Gmail address. It's two true freaks at gmail.com. That's T W O true freaks at gmail.com. Check us out on our forum at the comicforums.com. Check us out on MySpace. And am I forgetting anything? YouTube. We're on YouTube too. Oh, yes, and on YouTube. All of our names so we, on those are two true freaks. All is one word with two spelled out. So we are slowly taking over the internet. Mm -hmm. um, Just like everybody else. <laughs> join us next time. We'll, we'll have the first of our two Halloween specials, right? Yeah, this whole month. This whole month is all special episodes. Yep. We got our two political episodes out of the way. Now we got two special Halloween-themed episodes to get out of the way. And those are going to be so fun. Yep, absolutely. So join us next time. And bring your diapers, because it's going to be scary. 